Okay, we're going to start here on the bottom of Kuflam Etenum Bed by the two dots. It says, You're allowed to put an egg into the sieve, the filter. The Mishnah said that it was a mustard seed filter. Rashi, before, and when he discussed this filter, said that there's two possibilities about what this is. He says, And similarly with an egg, The yolk drips down, And then it colors the mustard yellow, And the white of the eggs, which is viscous, stays above in the filter or in the sieve. Rabbeinu Alevi, one of Rashi's Rabbeinu Perish, it's not into the mustard seeds, but into a regular dish. It's a different way to filter the egg. And then it drips down into the item that's cooked below, and it widens it, which makes it sound like it's the the white of the egg that's falling down and not the yellow of the egg. So they're disagreeing both about what it's used for, whether it's to color the mustard or to color a regular dish. And secondarily, they're arguing about it seems to be what goes down. I mean, according to Rashi, it's the yolk of the egg that's going down, it's coloring it yellow. Whereas according to his Rebbe, it's the white of the egg that's going through that is coloring the dish white. So Tani Yaakov Karcha, the So here is the Gemara saying what Rashi interpreted on the Mishnah. The reason this is Mutar it's because you're simply using it to color. You're allowed to dye food on Shabbat. That's what Rashi says. The Ma'er Shechamon Yafil Gavain Velo Achel Bone. Because the yolk is good for coloring, whereas the white of the egg is not. Hilkach. Rashi makes a statement here, which is interesting. Again, Idi Vidi Ochelhu. They're both considered to be food. Vainkaim Breirat Psolet Miochel. And therefore, there's no Breirat Psolet Miochel. Can we discuss this before the guards of the Tosafot? That's not such a clear statement because Ochel and Psolet is all relative, subjective. It doesn't have to be whether it's edible or not edible. It happens if you want it, you don't want it. But over here, it happens to be that the Shofanarach and Rishi were Paskin this way. That if you are simply separating out the yolk from the white in order to use it to color the food below, that that is permissible on Shabbat. Assuming that Rashi is saying this because they're both ochel, therefore there's no real ochel and psold anymore. There's ochel and ochel over here. And just for the purpose of the gavain, that is mutar, to separate the two. For coloring on Shabbat, that is permissible. Itmar, chardal shalashom erev Shabbat, chardal that was needed from erev Shabbat, so this is mustard seed with water together, and they're kneaded into a mush before Shabbat. Lemachar, on Shabbat itself, Amarav, Bikli, you're allowed to crush it, we're going to see in the Gemara more, dissolve it with a pencil. Avalobiyad, not by hand. Amarav, Shmuel, Biyad, why wouldn't you be able to do it yet? Atakoyom, Memachale, Biyad, that's something that you would do every day. You crush it, you dissolve it by hand every day. Machal Chamorimho, that's donkey food. So there's no way that that would be impermissible on Shabbat. Amarav, Shmuel, Memachal, Biyad, you're allowed to crush it, dissolve it by hand. Ve'enu, Memachal, Bikli, but what you may not do is do it with the Glee. says they're both a sur, both by hand and with a glee. That they are both mutar. And Rashi explains over here that this mamacho is bemaimo biyain. You use water or wine, as I said before, to dissolve, not necessarily to crush, because you're pouring this water or this wine into what's already a kneaded ball. They're made into a ball before Shabbat, and now you're adding wine or water to it to crush them or 
more likely to dissolve them inside of that liquid. Abai v'ravo damri tarvayu ain't a locha k'rabi Yochanan. Abai and Rav both say the locha is not like Rabbi Yochanan because Kam Rabbi Yochanan she say the Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Yochanan changed his mind and he adopted the position of Rabbi Lazar. So obviously the locha is not like his position that it's mutar both biyadubukli and Kam Rabbi Lazar but she did that to Shmuel and Rabbi Lazar changed his mind and he took on the position of Shmuel and therefore Abai v'ravo damri tarvayu alocha k'rabi Rabbi Yochanan. The Lachas are Rabbi Yochanan in his new position, in his new adopted position, which is, it's a sur both biyad and bikli. Eime de Abaye, Abaye's mother, again, we spoke about this, it's probably not his mother, that it's his stepmother, his adopted mother, or his nurse. Avdaleh, she made it for him, velo achau. And he did not eat it, based on this position, that the Lach, Abaye Rav, the Lachas are Rabbi Yochanan, that it's a sur both biyad and bikli. Debitu de Zira, the wife of Ziri, Avdaleh, the Rav Bar Ashi, she made it for Rabchir Ba'ashi, who was a Talmud of Zira, Vloachil, and he refused to eat it. Amrle the Rabcha Avidle Vachal. She says, I make it for your Rebbe, and he eats it. Vat Loachalt, and you're not going to eat it. Amarava Bashava Avakamina Kamei the Ravina. I was before Ravina, Ubachashele. He crushed it or pounded it with the center of a garlic. So he took the center of the garlic and he used that as his hammer, as his means for crushing it. And he ate it afterwards. Everything that you see now, the Allah is not like that. This memra is the Allah. This mustard seed that was needed from Erev Shabbat. You could do it by hand and by Kli. This is like the original statement of Rabbi Yochan and it's mutar in both. And you can put honey into it. You're not allowed to beat it. You're allowed to mix it. Here is what is permissible. It is permissible to, after it's already been kneaded before Shabbat, to add in a liquid to crush it, to dissolve it. You can do that whether it's by hand, by a Kli. But again, you have to be careful that you're not beating it, that you're only mixing it gently. So if you have cress that was ground or chopped from Erev Shabbat, the next day, so you can put in oil or vinegar the next day, and you can put into them also amita, which the Gemara asks what that is, and again, you may not beat it, you're allowed to mix it. Shum, and it comes to garlic, shirisko, that you crushed, mi erev shabbat, lumachar, notein letocho pul. The next day, you can put into this crushed garlic, beans, vigrisim, and grits, velo yishchok, then you should not pound it, ela mi arev, mix it gently. Umamshich et amita letochan, again, you can put this amita into it. My amita. What is this amita? The Gemara says niniya. Rashi says niniya is minta, is mint leaves or mint. Right, no, no. Whereas the jastro translates it as bishop's weed or ami. Amar abai shmamina. Hi niniya. Maya letachle. From there you can see that this amita, whether it's mint or whatever else it is, is a good accompaniment, a good spice for tachle for cress. That's what you would derive from this, or that's what you would learn from this, because here they're telling you what you're allowed to do on Shabbat. They're obviously telling you things that people would do, or recipes that people would use, and therefore it shows you that this is good for cress. Osim anomalin bishabbat. The Mishnah said you're allowed to make this anomalim in Shabbat. Osim anomalin bishabbat. Osim alontit. You're allowed to make this this anomalin, but you're not allowed to make this alontit. Vezuhi anomalin, vezuhi alontit. What are these? So anomalim is yain vidvashu pilpilim. It's wine, honey, and pepper. Alontit is yain yashan, aged wine, umayim tzlulim, and filtered water. 
They make it for post the bathhouse to cool off. Rashi says here that the problem of alontit on Shabbat is that it's dugmat refuah. It looks like it's medicinal. It may not be medicinal nature, but it acts or functions like medicine on Shabbat. I'm Rabbi Yosef, Zimna Chada, Alid Batar Marukvo the Beibani. I went after Marukvo into the bathhouse. In Afke, when we came out, Ati Ashka Ayan Tamra. They brought us this wine. They brought us this aged wine with filtered water and balsam. Chad Kasa. I drank one gov, v'chashi, and I felt it, mibinto deroshe, from the hair of my head, v'tufro dekare, down to my toenails. V'ashkin kasachrina, if I had taken another drink of this stuff, hava mistafina, I would have been afraid, dilamanchali mizchuto da'amodate, that they would take away my skuyot from olam haba, because he said he would have died or passed out after he drank the second cup of this, and he's afraid that he'd have to use up his chiyot to stay alive. Here, he's having so much trouble with this. Marukva did this every day, and he drank without any problem. Shani Marukva, the dashbe, exactly. He was already used to this. He did this on a regular basis. Since he did it on a daily basis, it didn't have that impact on him. But Rav Yosef, who did this once in a blue moon, that all of a sudden had deep impact on him. The next Mishnah, Ein Shirin Eta Chiltit. One may not soak the Chiltit. I'll give you the Latin term for it. It's Asa Fatida, which is a plant that's leaves are used for medicinal purposes as well as by some people as spicing. You can only eat very small amounts of it. If you eat large amounts of it, it's actually poisonous for you. So Ein Shirin Eta Chiltit Bipushrim. You're not allowed to soak it in warm or hot water. You can put it into vinegar. One may not float. It's really soaked, but it means float the karshinin, which is vetch. You can't rub them in order to shell them, to get whatever you want off of them. You can't do that on Shabbat. You can't both soak them so that you float the impurities or whatever you don't want to the top. And you also can't rub them to do this. You can put them into a sieve. Olotoka kalkala or into a basket. And as that falls away, then that's fine. But you're not actively separating it out. And whatever falls happens to fall, that's okay. As long as you don't actively do it. One cannot put stubble from the straw, the stalk, into a kvara, into a sieve. Can't separate it through the sieve. You should also put it up on a high place. Because you want the wind to catch it, and that'll blow away the chaff. You can't carry it in a sieve even though you're not intending to separate it, and it might separate along the way, that might be okay, to both take the straw or the stubble that's left over and carry it to feed to the animals so you can put it into their trough. So you'll have to carry it with this mechanism, even though this mechanism would cause some sort of separating. Rashi says in both cases that it's davar she'enu mitkavein. It's the motz no snofel me'elav. Rabbi Shimon domar davar she'enu mitkavein is mutar. And something that's unintentional on Shabbat is mutar. Rashi says clearly by the karshinim that sometimes it falls out. He's making sure that you know that it's not a pasuk reisha over here because otherwise it would be us or even according to Rabbi Shimon. So he says sometimes it happens. He does not qualify the latter statement here by the Kvara, but my assumption is that he probably meant the same thing, which is that since it's happening by itself and doesn't have to happen, therefore it's not a Pesagration, it's only a Davashayim Mitzkaven, and that's why it's Mutar on Shabbat. Ibailu Sharamai. Our Mishnah says, In Shorin Be'poshrin. What happens if you go ahead and do it, and you soak it? What have you violated? Targumar of Adar Narsha, Kameh the Rav Yosef, 
Shara chayav chatat. You soak it, you're chayav chatat, you're in violation of a din de oraita. Amar le abaye el meato, shara umtza bimayo. If you soak raw meat in water, hakanami de mechayev, you're also going to be chayav. This type of action is not an active melacha. It's only a problem, mi de rabanan. Ella, rabai mi de rabanan, shaloya sek derch shosebecho. There's no real melacha that's being done here. It's just an activity that's performed on a weekday, and therefore we don't want you to do such things on Shabbat. It's against the spirit of Shabbat. It's something that we don't want you to engage in such an activity on Shabbat in case you might come to do other malacha. You're allowed to soak it in cold water. Doesn't our mission say you're not allowed to put it into warm or hot water? It says, You can infer from the Mishnah that had you put Put it in cold water, that would have been fine. Amalei imkain ma benli vilach. What's the difference between me and you then? If you can draw inferences from the Mishnah, then what do you need a Rebbe for? Why are you coming to ask me questions? Obviously, I'm telling you the information because it's not so simple and you can't make this inference from the Mishnah. Matanitan yechidai. Our Mishnah is a dat yechid. It's an individual's position and therefore it's not the halacha. The Tanya, you have a bright, the insurina, the chiltit, lo bichamin, velo bitsonain, not in hot water, not in cold water. Rebbe Yossi Omer, bichamina sur, only in hot water is it problematic, bitsonain mutar. Rebbe Yossi is obviously the Tana of the Mishnah of our Mishnah, and he's a dat yachid. You can see from the bright that we just quoted that the chamim's position is that it doesn't matter whether it's hot or cold. So my avdilate, why do you soak this chiltit? What is its medicinal properties or what people use it for? The yukra deliba, for a heavy heart. As Rashi says, I don't know if that means that you have pain in your heart, or you have heartburn, others translate it as asthma. So Rabbi Acha Bar Yosef Chash B'yukar B'liba, Rabbi Acha Bar Yosef had this condition. Atal HaKamei D'mar Ukva, he went to Mar Ukva, Amalei, Zil Shate, Tlata Tiklei Chiltita. Go, drink for yourself, three shekels worth of Chiltita, but Tlata Yomei, over three days. Now, Tlata Tiklei the literal translation is three shekel. Over here, Rashi says zihuvim, gold coins worth. Well, I don't know whether that's the weight or the cost or the value of what he should get. Rashi suggests that it is the weight worth of the gold and of chiltit, but he was going to take it over three days. This was the cure for him. Azal ishte chamsha b'shabot. Umale Shabbat. He drank it on Thursday, Friday. Safra. Then on Shabbat, he wakes up, realizes that that is his third day. Now he doesn't know what to do. It's Shabbat now, and he's dealing with a medicinal issue. Azal Shal Bey Midrashah. When it asked in the Bey Midrash what to do. Amrulay, Tana Debe Ravada, Varmila Tana Debe Mar Barav Ado. Shota Adam Kavu Kobayim Veino Chushesh. You can drink as much as you want, and it's not a problem, because this Chiltit was both medicinal and a normal drink. Therefore, we saw before earlier in the Mesechta, that if you drink something that is normally a drink, even though you're doing it for medicinal purposes, that's not a problem. Because it's not mukha milta. It's not obvious that you're doing it for medicinal reasons. I'm not asking about drinking it. What's the din to soak it? I took two days of my course of medicine. Now I'm on the third day. I had a case like this. And I went and asked for advice about it. Well, Abba Yoda, he didn't know what to do. Then I asked Rav Huna about it. This is what Rav said. Soak it in cold water and then leave it out in the sun. So you get the equivalent of soaking in hot or warm water. So, 
he posed the question to him, is that only according to the one who says it's mutar to do it in cold water? Meaning, Rabbi Yossi or a Mishnah? So he says back to no, afil leman asar. It's even according to the Chachamim who normally say it's asur. Hani milehech edulo ishte glau. That's if you haven't drunk it at all. Avohacha kevin de ishte, since he already had begun to drink it, chamsha umalishavta on Thursday and Friday, iloshati bishabot, had he not drunk it on Shabbat, mistaking, he would have been in danger. Mistamech vazil, therefore he can continue to do it. Now this mistaking here, it's questionable whether mistaking really means that he's in danger, or that it would lead to discomfort, or him becoming sicker. The Rishonim differ on this. Most of the Rishonim believe that this is not real danger. This does not pose a real life threat to him. It was simply that he would get sicker, or he would not recover from whatever was plaguing him at the time. And despite that fact, they allowed him to continue the course of medicine that he was taking. So now, this serves as a head there by the Igris Moshe, by Moshe Feinstein, when he writes in his tshuva, for taking courses of antibiotics. He says that if a person is taking antibiotics, one may continue to take antibiotics on Shabbat because of this Gemara. Here you see, despite the fact that a person is not, quote-unquote, in danger, they're allowed to continue a course of medicine over that period of time. If Moshe at the time says that only if a person mentally, it would bother them not to take the course of medicine, and he would feel uneasy or make him sick if he didn't take it. Moshe has a lot of qualifications about him taking it on Shabbat. Shmir Shabbat Kehokhatan, Rav Shalom said that one can continue the course of antibiotics because this Gemara is saying not only when it poses a danger or a sickness, but even if it accelerates the recovery, then one is permitted to continue a course of medicine, which is what he claimed that the antibiotics did. Rav Neuberger said he thought that the way the question should be posed is, do the doctors think you should take it or the doctors think you shouldn't take it? If the doctors say that that's the proper course of treatment, then it becomes necessary on Shabbat and you should take it. If that's not the proper course of treatment, then you don't need to take it on Shabbat. And there's nothing to discuss. The issue of taking antibiotics is interesting only because many times it's not necessarily curative or medicinal in nature. We have the course of antibiotics. I know when I was younger, we had to take it for 10 days. Now they've already reduced that down to 4 or 5 days. But the reason they kept you on the antibiotics for longer periods of time is that they wanted to ensure that whatever the bacteria was, was clearly killed and did not develop an immunity to the antibiotic, which would cause further issues later on because it would develop an immunity if you only knocked it out but didn't kill it, then it would come back even stronger. But that danger only exists in a number of people or a number of situations. It's not true in all situations. So therefore, it's interesting by antibiotics because the duration of taking antibiotics is really preventative in nature. In most cases, it's probably cured within the first 48 hours, and then we continue it for those rare cases where it's not killed in the first 48 hours in order to prevent it from developing a immunity to these antibiotics. Nevertheless, the poskim, both Ramosha and Rosh believe that one can continue a course of medicine through Shabbat if it is necessary. Although, as I said in the name of Rabbi Neuberger, that if it's medicinally necessary, it wouldn't matter if you started taking it before or not. The doctor says you need to take it, you take it on that day. The doctor says, you don't need to take it that day, you don't take it that day. That should be the real determination today, which is, is it necessary or not necessary? Not whether you started the course of treatment beforehand or not. Rachav Yosef was leaning on or riding on top of Rav Nachman Yitzchak, his nephew. 
When we get to Rav Safra's house, take me in. When they got there, he took him in. He asked him this question. He posed this question. Can one rub a linen baggage on Shabbat? Is simply trying to soften the linen. Or is he trying to whiten the baggage, and therefore it's problematic? So after you laundered the linen baggage, or if you got a new linen baggage, it was very hard. It's equivalent of a starch baguette. So how do you remove the starch, or how do you get it to soften? You rub it against itself. You rub it with your hand, and that softens the baguette. So that's the question. In these linen begadim, when you did that, were you simply softening the baguette, which would be fine on Shabbat? Or are you trying to whiten it? Are you trying to rub it so that it has a whiter look to it? And that would be a sore, because that's labain on Shabbat, which is one of the 39 melachot. He says, it's no problem, it's for softening, and you can do it. So after he came out, he asked him, what did you ask? You got in with the gadol, the safra, what did you ask him? I asked him this question, what about rubbing the linen on Shabbat? And he says, no problem. Why didn't you ask about a scarf or a kerchief? He says, with that, I didn't have a question. I already asked that of Ravuna, and he answered it for me. He says, so then why didn't you just extrapolate the din? If you knew what the din was by a scarf or a kerchief, then why don't you just extend that to a regular linen baguette? There's a difference. By the smaller baguette, it clearly looks like you're trying to whiten it because a person is very makpid that their scarf or their kerchief looks white. That is something that you want to be as white as possible, whether it's to show its cleanliness or to wear it. And therefore, the whitening of it is very important. Since that is the primary concern with regards to that type of wear, then when you rub it, we're assuming that you're doing it for the whitening purpose. Here, by the regular baguette, I had a question as to whether that is true or not. Is it the whitening or the softening that you're after? And that's what Vesafra answered for me, that it is the softening that I'm after. And that's why there's a differentiation in aloha. By a kerchief and a scarf, it would not be permissible. By a linen baguette, by a tunic, it would be permissible. Amar of Chista, Haikitnita, this type of linen baguette, Mishalfo ledida mikanya. You can take it off the hanger. That is shari. Kanya mimena, to pull the hanger out of it, is a sewer. That is problematic. Now the kanya, the hanger in their day, was just a stick that stuck between the two arms. And the stick was not really made for this. Necessarily, it was going next, its next stop was firewood. It was just one stop away from being in the fire. And so the assumption is that it's muksa. So if you want to take the baguette off the hanger, that's fine. Because you can take the bagger, you're not being metaltel the muksa. And then if you want to take the hanger, the stat, the stick out of the bagger, that will be problematic because then you're picking up the muksa, you're interacting with the muksa. Amarava vimplei kevai mu mutar. If it is a weaver's utensil, then it is mutar. Because then it has a shame kli on it, it's no longer muksa. Even though it's a klishim lachto di isur, Nevertheless, on Shabbat, if it's our kufor, it's our mikomo, you're allowed to move it. So over here, if you want your arms in the baguette instead of the stick, you could move it because it's in your way. Now, this is interesting, we did mention Kli earlier in the Mesechta, and we dealt with weavers' utensils over there. We said that they were possibly muksa machmat chisam kis. Not only are they utensils that are used for isur, but on top of that, they also have a secondary problem, which is that they are things that you only use uniquely for that process and for nothing else. 
So you have to differentiate and say that here we're talking about the weaver's utensils that don't have that classification, whereas the Gemara that spoke about this in back on Kufiud Gimel might have been speaking about certain weaver's utensils that do have that classification or status of muksa machmat chisaron kis. Amrav chista. Hai ishta diyarka. This bundle of vegetables. If it can be eaten by animals, share the tutu. Then you can carry it. There's no problem with muksa. Vilo. If not, a seer. That is considered to be a sewer because it doesn't have any purpose. It doesn't have any utility on Shabbat. So I translated as a bundle of vegetables. You can see that the Oruk translated as a hutza. Hutza could be shoots. And it also could be, again, that it's only edible or only usable for animals. So if you're using it as animal feed, that is fine. If not, then it has no utility on Shabbat. Whereas the kavre osir, that of meat is mutar, whatever this is, that of fish is a sewer. Rashi basically describes it as a salami hanging from the ceiling which is that it's meat that is salted and it's hung up to dry on the ceiling. So he's making a salami beef jerky that he's hanging from the ceiling. That one can carry around on Shabbat because that is edible. That is something people would eat. On the other hand, if it's fish that is salted and hanging out to dry, that one cannot carry on Shabbat because nobody would eat that in its raw state. Nobody would eat it without cooking that fish. So that's the way Rashi learns this. On the other hand, Tosafot, it's the Tosafot is actually found on Kuflam and with Bet, suggests that that is not what this Tali Bistra and Tali Kivre is. It's talking about the hook without the meat on it. He's talking about the meat hooks. The meat hooks you can carry on on Shabbat even when there's no meat on them because they don't become disgusting when you hang the meat on them. The fish hooks, they are muksa because of mius, because they're disgusting. Even when the fish are offered them, the oil... And the residue of the fish that's found on the oats makes them disgusting. And they're muksa machmat mius. That's one interpretation he brings down. Rebbe Perishlanu did the talo de bisaragaliot bot torat kli. Another possibility that Tosfot says is that the meat hooks usually have a torat kli on them. I will show the gim low. But that of the fish does not have a din of a kli on it. Not because of the miyus, but simply a question of it has a shame kli or not a shame kli, which is the nature of what the halachot that we just discussed. Is that something have a shame kli or not have a shame kli on Shabbat? And that would be the same thing over here. Does the fish hook doesn't have a shame kli and the meat hook does have a shame kli on it. Amar of Katina. Amar Katina says, Omeid be'emtza amita, kilo omeid be'kresa, sheli isha. person who stands in the middle of a bed, of a husband and wife's bed, it's as if he's standing on the stomach of the woman. Velav milti, and we don't worry about this. Rashi says that it's a problem of hirhur. When he stands in the middle of bed, he's going to think about what's done on the bed, and that'll be a problem of hirhur. Gemara rejects it and says it's not an issue at all. All right. So the Mishnah, now we're going to have statements from Rav Chista. And he's going to tell you, a barbe rav, a... Student of the academy, meaning that someone who is a young Talmud Chacham that doesn't have a lot of money, what can he do to be economical? The Zaman Yarkov, you go to buy vegetables, Lisbon Arika. He says, buy the longest ones. Kisha Kikisha. When they bundle the vegetables, they always bundle them with the same size. I mean, the string that they use to tie the vegetables is the same size. So the circumference that's wrapped up is all identical. Vorka Mamela. And then whatever the length is, turns out to be, they don't check, but the length is the length. So, better off to take the longer ones than to take the shorter ones because you benefit from taking the longer ones and you're paying the same price. From Rav Chista, Barbei Rav Dezavin Kanyo, if he's going to buy twigs, Lisbon Arika, he says, take the longer ones. Again, Tuna Ki Tuna, the load is like the load, and the length is what makes the difference. 
So a similar type of idea that they bundle the twigs in a similar fashion. The only difference between the bundles is the length of the bundles. So if you want to be economical, you should go and take the longest bundle because then you'll get the most for your money. From Rav Chista, Barbe Rav, Delon, Efishele, Rifta, who does not have a lot of bread. Lo licho yarka, you should not eat vegetables, mashum the gorier, because they whet your appetite. They cause you to be hungrier. And here's a person who doesn't have a lot to eat, he has that bread to fill himself afterwards. It's interesting that the yarka mashum gorier gets mentioned with regards to Erev Pesach. That's one of the things that you're allowed to eat late on the day on Pesach is vegetables because it whets one's appetite and will increase their appetite for the meal at night as opposed to other items that would satisfy or satiate the individual which you may not eat late on the day on Erev Pesach. When I was poor, I didn't eat vegetables. When I got wealthy, I also didn't eat vegetables. When I was poor, I didn't eat them because they would have wet my appetite and I didn't have what else to put in there. But when I got wealthy, I also didn't eat them. Says, why waste that space with the vegetables? I could put meat and fish in there instead. I have to leave room for the good stuff. Don't put vegetables where you can put the good stuff in it. Barbe Rav does not have a lot of bread. He shouldn't break it into pieces and eat it slowly. You shouldn't eat a piece of bread here, a piece of bread there. You should just eat it in one shot or one sitting because that's all that will be satisfying. If he breaks it up, he won't get a satisfying piece. The next piece of the Gemara, there's some question as to whether it belongs in the Girsa. The Bach eliminates it completely from the Girsa. I'll read it. That if he doesn't have a lot of bread, he should not be Botzea. That seems to be a repetition of what we said before. There's some question as to whether the word Bo should be in there. And the other possibility is that he shouldn't break bread in other people's houses. Because when his normal situation is not generous with his portions, because he doesn't have a lot, then he shouldn't set that honor somewhere else, because he's not going to be generous in his distribution of the bread. Because he doesn't do it generously. Again, the Bach eliminates this whole piece from the Gemara. I would not break bread, break my bread down into smaller pieces, until I put my hand into the basket, and I felt that I had enough bread for the entire meal or for breaking into pieces. But if it wasn't large enough, I wouldn't break it into pieces. person has the ability to eat barley bread. Vechal and eats wheat bread. That's a waste of money. It's a waste of product. Meaning that it's more expensive. Wheat bread is more expensive than barley bread. And wheat is a finer product than barley. So if you could eat the barley and instead you eat the wheat, then you're just wasting. Someone can drink beer. Instead he drinks wine. Then he's also wasting money. Beer being cheaper than wine. So therefore one is wasting their money by using up his money to purchase more expensive wine and is using grapes instead of the hops, the dates, or whatever else they use to make shechar. Now, Rav Papa, if you remember from the previous Samud, is a beer maker. That's why in Rav Papa's house, they were allowed to pour from the barrels. So Rav Papa does have some advertising going on here. He'd rather that you drink beer than you drink wine, because that was his business. Gemara rejects all of this and says, Vala what they're saying is incorrect. Your body takes precedence over your money. Meaning that you should give what's better for your body, the wheat bread and the wine, rather than opt to save on money. So when we look at this Baltashrit, we don't look at just wasting money or spending money or expenditures. We look at it 
also with regards to your health. And your health also counts. And so if something is healthier and it protects your body or does good for your health, that will override the Isra Baal Tashrit with regards to expenditures. Amrav Chista Barbe Rav Deletle Mishko, that he doesn't have oil. Now they used to use oil at the end of their meals to wipe on their hands, to take off the zuama, to take off whatever residue on their hands. Remember they ate with their hands. So they used to put oil on it in order to remove that. So if he doesn't have oil, what should he do? Nimshe b'maya dechariitse. He should go grab some algae off some still water in a crack. The algae has the same feel as oil, same properties, and it'll act in the same manner. He buys a piece of meat, of raw meat. Lisbon umkut. He should pick the neck. He should buy of the neck. Because it has three types of meat in it. Fatty meat, lean meat, and it also has the gid. It also has sinews in it. So you get all types of meat, a basar in it, and therefore buy that piece. He's going to buy a linen garment. Lisbon midahar abba. First of all, buy the linen that comes from Nahar abba, which is the higher quality linen. Mechavra kotlatin yomin. You should whiten it. Wash it. Whiten it every 30 days. Demifachele tracer yarcheshat. It will last him then for 12 months, an entire year. Venana arva, and I guarantee it. So if you act in this way, I guarantee that your clothing will last the entire year. My kutanita. What is this kutanita? This linen bag that we're talking about? Kita na'a. Or it's a fine flax or nice flax. You should not sit on a new reed mat. Because it ruins the clothing. When you sit on it, the moisture from the new reeds causes wear or tear on the bigadim, and therefore you don't want to sit on it because you're going to ruin your clothing. Should not give your laundry to the bed and breakfast where you're staying, to the host. Because that's not proper. Because maybe they will see a stain of carry on your baguette. And then they will be disgusted with you. They will despise you. And they will no longer grant you the proper kavod for being a Tamar Chacham. Because they would think that if a Tamar Chacham, this shouldn't happen to him. How is that possible? So on and so forth. So don't have your host do your laundry for you. Amar Luhu Rav Chista Libinate. Rav Chista now gives advice to his daughters. But until now he was giving advice to the Yad Tamidei Chachamim. Now he turns over to give advice to his daughters. Tavitz Niatan Vapikavraichu. Number one, you should be Tzanua. You should have modesty in front of your husbands. Lo tichlon. Now you could say that's a general statement, or you could say that's colon. Meaning that being modest in front of your husbands, these are the items that I'm going to list you, or you can say that it's a separate statement, which is just be modest in front of your husbands. Lo tichlon nema gavraichu. Do not eat bread in front of your husbands. As Rashi points out, because maybe you'll eat a lot, and your husband will become disgusted by the fact that you are consuming so much food. Lo tichlon yarka belelia. Do not eat vegetables, Rashi says, at night. Because it gives you bad breath. Lo tichlon tamre belelia. Lo tishtun shichwa belela. Do not eat dates at night. Lo tishtun shichwa belela. Do not drink beer at night. Because they are both laxatives. And they will cause you to pass gas at night. Which will again be a turn off your husband. Exactly. Lo tifnon echa demafne gavraichu. You should not defecate. You should not go to the bathroom in the same place that your husband goes to the bathroom, whether it's at the same time, Rashi notes, or whether it's at a different time, if it's at the same time, he might, again, become turned off by it, or even at a separate time, he'll know that you went there and see the residual that was there, and he'll be turned off by that. 
When somebody comes and knocks on the door, don't say, who is it? Who is it? The difference is, in English, there's no male and female conjugation. But over here, they're saying in Aramaic, don't say, who is it in the male form, but say, who is it in the female form? You shouldn't regularly interact or talk with men, so you should assume that it's a female at the door, and you should act as if it's a female at the door. Translates like the Oruch, which is, you should hold a precious stone in one hand, and a worthless stone in the other hand. You show them the precious stone, but don't show them the worthless stone. Until they are in pain, until they can't hold themselves back, and then show it to them. The basic point being that, you can tease people, you can encourage them. If you show them a precious stone in one hand and then you hold the other one closed, what's the assumption? The assumption is the other hand is holding something also that's precious. The nature of a human being is to be curious and to desire that which is not seen and that which is in the closed fist. So despite the fact that you have a worthless stone in your closed fist, that you can draw more attention to do than the open hand that has the precious stone in it. The person will be more interested possibly in the closed fist than the open hand. That's the way the Oroch describes it. Rashi over here interpreted it to be in a sexual connotation, which is that the less you show, the more excited you can make your husband, because being modest and being covered is more sensual and exciting than that which you show. And that's the way Rashi interprets this. You can't float the Karshinim to remove the impurities. Our mission is not like this. You're not allowed to use a sieve on Shabbat entirely. I mean, that our mission discusses carrying things in the sieve, moving things around in the sieve. He says you don't touch it on Shabbat. It's out of the world of Shabbat. Okay, next Mishnah. Petem is an animal that you are breeding or bringing up to fatten it up. So you're allowed to sweep away from in front of that animal. And you can move things to the side because of the dung that he's going to spill. You give him a ton of food. So now, if you want to clear out the trough in front of him, you're allowed to sweep away the trough in front of him in order to put the new food in. So he won't become disgusted with the old food that's left over. And if there's excess food there, if you don't give him any room to drop his dung, he's going to drop his dung right into the food and it'll make it disgusting. So you're allowed to sweep away the food so he doesn't drop his dung right into the place where the food is. Divir Rabbi Dosa. Rechamim Osrim. Rechamim say you're not allowed to do this. What you're not allowed to do, they don't say here. You're allowed to move food from in front of one animal to another animal on Shabbat. We don't say it's buksa just because it was given to one animal and the other animal won't eat it. Rabbanon that disagree here, are they arguing on the first statement of Rabbi Dosa or on the second statement of Rabbi Dosa? Oh, at or are they arguing on both statements of Rabbi Dosa? So Tashma, the Tanya, Chumim, Amim, doesn't matter. Either way, you're not allowed to move it to the side. That's whether you're clearing out the trough or whether you're clearing out the area for him to drop his dung. Both of them are a source. We think the Chamim argue on both statements of Rabbi Dosa. That's only true in a trough that's made out of the dirt, out of the ground. If it's a trough that is a utensil, then there's no problem. So says, Is there anybody who would say that a trough that's made out of the dirt, out of the ground is mutar? Now we started to see what the problem is. When you sweep away what's in this ibus that's made out of the karga, then you're going to flatten out the cracks. You're going to fill in the holes that are on the ground, which we know is problematic on Shabbat. So we don't want you sweeping dirt floors on Shabbat. And that's exactly what this ibus is. It's a dirt floor. So let's rephrase what Rav Chista says. 
Chloka in our Mishnah is about a clear utensil. But Vusro Karka, Dibya call a sore. Even Rabbi Dosa would agree by a trough that's made out of the ground that that is a sore. It's the Ivu Shokli that is Mutar according to Rabbi Dosa. And according to Chloka, there goes your Kli, Atu Karka. And that's what the Mishnah is discussing. Nodim Lifneya Beima. Tanachada, Nodim Lifneya Beima, Shapia Yafa. You take in front of an animal who has a nice mouth. And then you can put it in front of an animal that has a bad mouth. But then you eat up another bright then you can take it from in front of an animal who has a bad mouth and put it in front of an animal that has a good mouth. Obviously it needs explanation. Both of these statements are married. You can take it from a donkey and put it in front of a ox. That you're allowed to do. Mikami Torah, Likami Chamra, from in front of the ox to in front of the donkey, Lo Shaklin, and that we do not do. Vahad Diktani, and now I explain you the two brightest. The one, the brightest says, Notlim Lifnei Beima Shapiriyafa, you take it from in front of an animal who has a nice mouth, Bechamor. That's why I met a donkey, Delaitle Rire, because he doesn't leave mucus, he does not dirty the food that he's eating. He doesn't leave drool or have residue on the food. And you put it in front of the one who has a bad mouth, which is Bipara. Talking about the ox, you're talking about a cow who does drool or get the food that he's eating dirty. Because he has this mucus or this drool that comes out of him. Vaktani, the other bright that said, that you take it from in front of an animal that has a bad mouth, that's the chamor. Because he eats anything. He's not particular about his food. And you put it in front of the animal that has a good mouth. That's like a cow, the dike of achla, particular about its food, and only eat that which is not been ruined before and used before. So both are making the same statement, which is that you're allowed to move the food from front of a donkey to an ox. They're just using pia yafa and pia ra in different connotations, but they both mean the same thing. Okay, we'll stop over here.